Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. Here's episode two, the extended cut of Mike and Melissa's story. We hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you guys both for being with us and being a part of the Your Story Matters series. Uh, it means a lot that you guys would be willing to sit down and share uh, not only your separate stories, but how they how they have come together and what God has done through that and what God is doing right now. And so the same question that I start everyone off with, where did you grow up? What was your family like? And then also on top of that, what role did faith or church or religion play with that? I grew up in Baltimore, in Dundalk. My biological father left when I was one, so I didn't really, he wasn't around. So I had a single mom. Uh, she was a waitress and a bartender, so while she worked, uh, my grandparents were able to take care of me. My childhood was awesome. I had friends next door, across the alley, across the street. We spent every day riding bikes and playing in the woods. and. I was an only child for a long time, so I was spoiled. My mom met my stepdad when I was seven, um, who is still my dad to this day. Loved me like I was his from, from day one. Never felt alone and never felt like I was missing a dad because uh, Bill, his name's Bill, kind of filled that role. And when he wasn't around, the first seven years was, was my grandfather. Sure. Um, every weekend going to yard sales and, and the flea markets and you know, help me cut, you know, help him cut the grass. And yeah, so childhood was really good. Uh, did not grow up in the church. I knew about God. I think when I was like 11, our neighbors invited us to church on Easter and they had the, the play of, of Jesus' resurrection. And that was my first time kind of hearing the story of Jesus and who he was. And I thought it was really cool. And I think from there, it sparked a curiosity that maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but it was just so not in the family that you just keep living and you don't think about it. Sure. My grandfather was Lutheran and I remember going to to his church a few times to to sit up, to sit down, uh, stand up, to sit down and, and all that. And it never really appealed. Um, we had faith in church and, and God was just, it was never talked down upon. Sure. It just was not there. Yeah. Just non-existent. Just like not an active part. Yeah. Like not a negative thing in your household. Not a negative thing. Just like, hey, this could be or couldn't be. It's just not a yeah. part of what we're doing right now. Yeah. Melissa, what was, what was your childhood like? Family, faith, all of those things. I had a great childhood. Two loving parents who loved each other. My mom and dad met at church. Um, My mom was singing at a church and my dad never really thought about really getting married and he saw her and just was, fell in love. And uh, I'm the middle of 
three children. We grew up going to church. Our church was across the street from our house, involved in youth group. I went to church camp every summer that I ended up actually being a counselor at. And then, you know, went to college and was involved in the college ministry there. So it was always something that stuck by me. I wasn't baptized until I was 18, I think. Um, it was just never really something that I kind of, I really knew I needed to have that feeling. I went to a youth conference and that's when I decided that it was just, you, know, you just feel God's moving power at, one of, at a conference. And it just, it was just such an incredible feeling that I was like, this is what I want to, you know, be involved in and have my life surrounded in. Um, it has always brought so much peace to have that faith and having a family that is completely immersed in the church. My brother's a worship leader. My sister works, my sister-in-law works at that church. My dad was the head usher for years upon years wow. and they all still go to the church. It's just something that we all connected through yeah. and something that just brought us closer together through the various stages of our lives. My dad's best friends are all couples that not only had lived down the street for him, but also just went to the church. Wow. Like they all met at the church, are all in a Bible study every Monday night. That environment has been so rewarding. We all just kind of grew up all together sharing that faith. Yeah, so ultimately your childhood faith was a part of it, but it was actually like an active part of mm -hmm. it, right? Because a lot yeah. of people will say, yeah, I went, my parents brought me, didn't really know why we were doing it. But for you, it was different. Mm -hmm. Like you grew up in it and you're like, no, I get this. And I understand why we're a part of this. And would you say that you saw like the fruit of that in your life and in your parents' marriage? Like, because you're saying they're, they're super invested so in your childhood, you felt, yeah, like this, we, we felt that in our life growing up. Absolutely. We, there was just so much peace and you could just tell that God's love was just surrounded by all of us. I mean, going to Christmas Eve services and going to all three of them that they would have, you know, making it kind of a priority, but not one that it seemed like it was forced. Sure. And you could tell that it was something different, not just in their marriage, but just how they are, how they were a peep, as people. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think, especially today, like that, you're seeing less and less of that. And when we talk about like kids in this church, our hope is that the kids grow up in it and have a loving and you know experience that they look highly back on when they become adults. So you grow up in the church, you know, family is close and all that. You become an adult, move out at some point, leave at some point. You know, eventually a few years into that, your family suffered loss. I was in my third year, second year of college, around 24, 23, 24. I ended up moving back home. College just wasn't my thing. Definitely a God moment because shortly after I moved home, my mom was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. It was extremely hard, but at the same time, just watching her testimony and watching her go through that 
just be so graceful through it. And she's like, God's got this. She shouldn't have lived six months. She lived three and a half years. We wouldn't have gotten through it without having the church on our side, having just the faith in general to believe that God can heal, God can get you through this. Just having that constant faith that, you know, we can get through this. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So while that's happening in Baltimore, you know, you have a great childhood. Eventually things started to change for you as well. So when I turned 18, I just was kind of ready to go. And I wanted to do my own thing and live on my own. And I uh, was enrolled in community college. And when I realized I didn't have to go and I can just kind of do what I want, I had my own apartment. I was uh, waiting tables at the time. And, and with that came the partying and the lifestyle. And very quickly I was introduced to hard drugs along with the alcohol. And it, it took hold really quick. Um, there wasn't anything in my past that I was running from sure. or hiding from. It was, I, I tried it and there was no more sadness. Everything was, was just happy and fun at first. After a few years of just kind of living paycheck to paycheck, functioning, just partying and doing what I wanted to do, it, it started to become harder drugs and took hold to full-blown addiction, um, which led to you know my job not being able to afford it. So I start stealing things, I start scheming, I start asking everyone around me for money, burning bridges, everything, until that landed me um, in jail for the first time couple DUIs through all that was kind of a slap on the wrist and kept just kept going until it all came to a head with a really big theft felony and was sent to prison um, I did get very lucky had I dodged 20 years wow. and only got only had to do a few years I think at that time it was kind of opened my eyes to maybe there's a God because up until that point I was the guy that would have give you a million reasons why God couldn't exist. You, you live in the world I was living in for as long as I was. There, there can't be a God because there it was so much suffering and, and pain. You know, the first, the first year's fun. And then at this point, you're, you're buying drugs instead of eating, buying drugs instead of paying your rent. Now you're living on couches and just how could God be, be real with in the world I'm in. But after everything I had done, and to be able to to get out of that, it wasn't it wasn't oh lucky me. It was there has to be something going on here. To the point where uh, once I got out, I have not gotten in trouble since. I mean, there was addiction was still there, um, but I'm not. You know, ever since I got out of jail, there was no more crime, no more no more stealing, no more any of that because it was it was like I'm not going to push the, the limits because yeah. if if there is yeah. a God, I'm just not <laughs> I'm not going to push the limits. Right. Yeah. I had got out when I was 27, 26 or 27, and I had nowhere to go. So I tried the rehab thing, failed, uh, went back out, tried the rehab thing again, failed. And that's when my mom mentioned a place in Frederick. Uh, so it was the first time 
after living in many places around Maryland, after living in South Carolina for a little while, I came to Frederick to go to the rescue mission. I liked it, not being in the city. Very different than Dundalk. Very different. <laughs> yeah. Very different. But I liked it. Yeah. The rescue mission was the first time I had was introduced to Jesus. Um, you know, the faith-based program and the seed was planted. It didn't take hold, but it was planted. And I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about how to be a better man, um, how to treat people. Ten months in, relapsed again. Just wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. Um, all the rehabs I'd been to at that point was, let's appease my parents, let's appease the girlfriend, let's dodge a court case, whatever it may be. It wasn't because I wanted to stop, because I, I didn't. Because you know, you get to that point of so many years of ruining your own life, now now you're using just to not think about it and numb all the damage you've done. Sure. I didn't know how to break that cycle yet. So I just kept, I kept going. I hadn't used hard drugs for a while at that point. That's when the drinking started. And I like to say I did that successfully for enough of a time to meet Melissa. Yeah. So two incredibly different stories to be honest, just very different areas, both Maryland, um, but not kind of childhoods that end up intersecting at any point. You know, there's faith from the beginning, but like a healthy faith and a good faith and a good experience. And there's addiction and jail and addiction and looking for second chances. And you guys both end up in Frederick and you guys meet for the first time, um, which is probably one of my favorite stories that you guys have shared with me before. So how did you meet and what was that like? He was working at Family Meal, um, which is now the showroom. But I had gone in about a month before we actually officially met and I had gone with a friend. Then my sister and my best friend and I were going a few weeks later and even on the way to the restaurant, I had told my sister, I was like, there's this really good looking waiter there. He's completely different than what I would ever go for. We got there sitting on the corner of the bar and we were kind of just talking to, my, my sister and my best friend and I were talking and my sister was supposed to ask him to take a picture of us and she chickened out. I ended up asking him like, hey, can you take a picture of us? And he did have that picture for forever. And then later on, he kept passing. And I was like, okay. I was like, what is your name? I was like, are you single? And then would you like to go get coffee? He said, yes. And then I came in the next day and brought coffee. We just talked for a good hour or two. The rest is history. Did you notice that they were like trying to play a game, like figure out who you were. Like, could you feel that? No, <laughs> no. But I, I'm a sucker for short hair, and okay. I remember she had short hair at the time, and I thought she was cute. And I'm pretty sure I, I complimented you on your hair. Oh yeah, I forgot about that before part. she ever said anything to me. And I don't know if that's what gave you the courage to to ask me. No, it was the two drinks that I had that <laughs> gave me the courage. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. That's good. But yeah, she. She asked me, and I was just like, first time any, a girl's ever asked me out. I was like, this is pretty cool. So at this, I mean, I'm 29, and I got a lot of baggage, and I had hurt a lot of women in the past, and I was just, I made the decision where, like, 
I'm just going to unload everything yeah. on the first date. And if it's meant to be, it, it's meant to be. And we're telling her like, hey, I don't want kids. Uh, I've been to prison. I'm struggling with addiction. You know, at, at that point, my drinking wasn't that bad. I was I had a place to live. I was making good money at a job and, and everything was okay. So I felt like I at least had something to offer, but I still needed to like let her know like, this is what you're getting into yeah. if you want to go any further. Yeah. She, I remember, I forget what you said. Okay. Yeah, I think she was just like, okay. Yeah. And I remember in my head, I was like, she, she's either sent from God or totally insane, but I was totally into it. So what leads you to the point of hearing all of that? Because one of the things that we've learned, and I've learned this from, from people like you and other people go to collective, there's a really big stigma about addiction recovery and there are certain things in this world that people decide like there's no coming back from that. There's no, they never change, right? Especially in addiction, you hear that all the time. Like, hey, once an addict, always an addict. Uh, it's even in the recovery community a lot of times. So there's a lot of stigma around that. There's a lot of stigma around that when it comes to faith and church and how people approach people in recovery. And so you guys have this moment where he just says, hey, here's all these things and you're just like, okay. But it would have been very easy for you in that moment to be like, oh, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't right. So what made you okay with that? My mom was always someone who showed a lot of grace to people. And I have always looked up to her, like she was my best friend. And it was just something that I was just like, he's gone through all this, this is the past, you know, God works miracles. I was singing for Accelerate Recovery in Mount Airy. And so I saw a little bit of people going through recovery, whether it was addiction or marital abuse or, you know, whatever. I saw how God can change people going through some traumatic experiences. So I think having that environment and knowing, you know, people can come from this, like they can, they can get away from it. And I, I pride myself in ex trying to accept everybody, um, no matter what they go through, because obviously, you know, at that point, he wasn't really doing the drugs or drinking. So it, it was, it was okay at that point. Like we were, I, could tell he was kind of level-headed and had his head on his shoulders. You know, obviously he was a little cautious, but I was like, okay, that was your past. That was, you know, a few years ago. You came to Frederick for a reason. Like, I just, it, it was also just a feeling of God's got this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's cool too that like, when you heard his story, like understanding what Mike has gone through isn't his identity. But that's not it. Like, it, and it can't be it because we don't want to be identified by the things we've gone through that were bad, that we did wrong, that someone did wrong to us, or even just like the the, the good and bad of our life. Like, we we want people to see us as who we are and who we're trying to be, you know. And I think that's one of the things I love most about your story is it was that from the start, right? From the very start, you guys saw each other and we're like, okay, like we're both interested. Let's figure this thing out. And so, you guys meet for coffee. What, how do you get from coffee to marriage? I was living with some friends. Um, she was still 
uh, she had moved back in uh, with her dad after her mom died to help him out. And I knew that she was saving herself for marriage and I was okay with that. And I also knew that that meant like we're not moving in together until, until that happens. And I think after a month or two of dating, it was kind of like, I think, I think this is, this is the one. And she's accepted me for me. At this point, I wasn't like, I, I was starting to believe that there was a God. I wasn't really, I hadn't dove in yet, yeah. but I wanted to kind of be along for the journey. And we just, we dated for a while and she would, she would come and stay with me and we would, you know, take trips, day trips. And we just really got to know each other up until even the, the, uh, the wedding. I mean, still the drinking hadn't gotten that bad. And, you know, we fell in love and I remember it was third Christmas together, I proposed. I think so. Yeah, cause I met her family. I love her family. Um, they accepted me just as quickly as she did. My parents are a trip and, you know, she has the same name as my mom. And I remember calling my mom, I was like, her name's Melissa Joy. I think, I think she's gotta be the one. That was like a month after dating. Wow. But no, that was. There might have been the next. The day. <laughs> I wasn't day. even out of the parking lot. That's awesome. And so it was just this whirlwind. But we, I know I, I was always friend zoned. I was almost too good for guys that they were just like, you're too good. I don't want to basically corrupt sure, you. Sure. Um, you know, there were flings here and there, but this was something that I just knew was right. I, I knew that it was going to be work and I was willing to put in the work and give it a chance. And I had never felt so loved. And I think that was huge that, you know, I had the love of my family, I had the love of my friends, but to have this special, love to feel beautiful, feel cared for, heard everything. Like I just, I knew that it was right despite, you know, anything that he was going through with his addiction and his mental health and, and everything. I think it was a few months before we actually got married. I had dealt with a severe uh, panic attack and I didn't know what it was at the time. And I was drinking heavy. I was doing other things I shouldn't have been doing. And it ended up really screwing me up to the point where I thought I was going to die. And it was really traumatic. And I'd never known what anxiety was. I didn't know that it was anxiety in the first place. Didn't know it was a panic attack. And I thought I was having a heart attack and ended up going to the hospital and all this stuff. And from that day forward, um, everything changed. My mental health declined terribly. Um, I was never not on edge. I was never not depressed. I was never not anxious. I couldn't sleep. Not knowing what it was led to, am I diabetic? So if like, what what's going on? Why sure. can't I ever feel yeah. normal and right? Obviously like the only thing that numbed any of it and just made me feel okay was drinking. Sure. And that's when it kind of got, it got really bad because all I cared about um, above above her, above my family, above anything, was just not feeling like that. Um, I'd never felt that way before. 
uh, using was a form of just having fun and a release. And, and this was the first time it was to really just not feel what was going on in my head. Um, I didn't address it for a long time. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't even I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So, you know, we get married and I feel like I'm just going to continue to drink and try to manage it sure. the best I can because I don't know what else to do. I hadn't noticed it until probably six months after we got married. Noticing these different changes in him was really hard to see and I just, and then it was hiding the bottles. Just his whole mood kind of changed. We were arguing a lot more. It was a month before our one year anniversary. He ended up going to a 28 day rehab. They had a family, what is it called, family weekend? They had a family weekend and I had gone and I got a lot more knowledge on addiction in general and what goes on in the mind. One thing she realized, especially at that family weekend was, it's not you, it's, he's hiding it because it's guilt, it's this, he doesn't want to hurt you, it's all this stuff. And what was going on with me and my mental health at the time, like it was more important to just feel normal because like suicidal thoughts were next. If I didn't get a handle on it, so that's when I finally decided to see a doctor, um, figure out what was going on, and you know, getting diagnosed with depression and anxiety at least gave a name a name to it. So I knew when at least those thoughts were coming, it wasn't a heart attack. It wasn't yeah. all this crazy stuff yeah. that I had made up in my head that it was. It cleared my head up, and I thought at that point, you know this was done, you know, he's fixed, let's move on. But that didn't last very long. The rehab thing sort of worked, get back and slowly realize I'm still depressed, I'm still anxious and still can't sleep. So I'm going to drink, but I don't want her to know. So I'm hiding it. So the next year and a half, he'd be sober for, you know, a month and then go back to it, lost countless jobs. September of 2020, it was time for him to go. I went to a halfway house where I was working, I was staying sober. Um, I was there for about three months at at this point. Don't know what's really happening with the marriage. I just knew I needed to get better. It was also in the middle of COVID as well, right? So like the time warp of it is even magnified. You're in this point where you guys are at home, pretty newly married, like trying to figure stuff out, the world is falling to pieces, which isn't good for any sort of anxiety or depression, you know, and then you end up, you know, going to this halfway house. The world is just very different for you both at that point. And honestly, like communities weren't communities anymore. Connections weren't connections anymore. You were nervous to see support systems because, you know, the fear of what's going on. And so you're kind of in this spot where it's like, there's been bottom moments, but this is kind of like a what the heck is going on moment for you guys, right? Like not just for you as a married couple, but individually, it's what is gonna happen next? Through kind of all of that, uh, before going to the halfway house, I had done a lot of, especially with all the mental health stuff, um, the fear of death came, the questions of God came, and the real dive into like the, the one and only prayer left. Like 
God, if you're real, I can't live like this anymore. I'll do anything. Just help me. Because you just there's no other options. Um, so I started, you know, paying attention more in church. I started to listen to podcasts. I started to read the Bible. I started, and I remember, like, when people say there's a light bulb moment, I had the light bulb moment yeah. where just one day out of nowhere, it just all made sense. It wasn't just real. It was true. I would die with a gun to my head knowing I would see Jesus kind of mm -hmm. true. And I just knew. And with that came a way out from the mental struggle. It was, Jesus, you got me. Like that, that was all I needed. It wasn't, I don't need a bottle. And I think at that point was when the, the drinking came to a head. Um, at the halfway house, I relapsed again. It was, okay, God, I don't care about my, this, I wanna say this the wrong way. I don't care about my marriage or what happens. I don't care about anything but getting better. I went back to the mission for the second time at the end of 2020 with the mentality of I'm ready now and I'm gonna do anything and everything to, to get well, regardless of who's around me without, without looking for anything for it except getting well. Yeah, which is important. And I know you said you don't want it to sound bad and people will hear that and they won't get it. But if you were doing it for Melissa, it's no different than Doesn't in the work. past when you're doing it for a family. Doesn't work. And if you are doing it to save your marriage, which obviously we want people to fight for their marriage, at the end it puts an unfair pressure on her and even the two of you. And you had to go into it saying, okay, God, this is me and you. And this is me yeah. trusting you. <laughs> I need you, yeah. I'm gonna put this pressure on you because you're God. And you know, it, it is the right way to go through that. You know, and, and people who haven't been through the same experiences, you might not understand that. But when we make decisions to change or grow or to heal based on someone else, that's not the savior of the universe. That's really, really shaky ground. And so you end up going back into the mission which for people who don't know is a space very separate from your marriage. Yeah. You know, you, you are married, you are not married there. You know, um, there's the beginning especially, there's not a ton of communication, there's not great opportunities to interact with each other. And so how did that feel for you? Because him leaving the house was a breaking point for you, but now there's this reality of like, I don't know when I'm going to see him again, you know you're married, but what does this even look like? You're young and married, you're going through this really, really heavy thing that I don't think a lot of people would be able to get through. And so what was, what was it like for you when he decided, hey, I'm gonna go into the mission, I gotta do this for myself? Oddly enough, it was just kind of relieving, because at the beginning of COVID, he kind of threw around the idea of going to the mission. But at that point, COVID happened and they weren't accepting people. And he definitely wasn't ready at that point. But having him go into the mission, it took a lot of pressure off. But then I realized that I needed to work on myself as well. I was realizing that I was extremely codependent on you know making sure that he was okay and focusing hardcore on his addiction um, i ended up getting involved with celebrate recovery again and 
being able to connect with people that were sort of going through the same thing as me, but more of just like a release to get, you know, all of my feelings out. But I ended up going into therapy, which, you know, I never really considered, but it was really rewarding to be able to kind of think about myself because my life for three years was focused on what am I going to go home to? How is tonight going to be? To changing my environment to what can I do for myself? And I had never really been independent at all. Like I never, you know, I went to college, but wasn't really that independent. And you're kind of too young to kind of grasp onto that independence. So I went from living in my dad's house to getting married and not really learning myself. Um, So being able to get into therapy and kind of take in who I am and changing myself into, if this doesn't work, being able to be myself and be okay. Like I was in a collective all by myself. I was watching service all by myself, which I was never comfortable doing. Like I was, I'm someone who, I don't like to go anywhere by myself. Like I want a buddy, (laughs) but you know, being able to be okay. And like I said, therapy really helped with my anxiety um, through all of it because you know, different sounds, like there's PTSD that goes along with this, you know, different sounds that would happen you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I wasn't sleeping well, but you know, being able to handle certain situations differently because I had this grasp on, this is me. Yeah, and one thing I don't want to overlook too, because you said it is, you guys started coming coming to Collective like two weeks Mm -hmm. before COVID hit. You're newly connected Mm -hmm. to this church community that you knew people that went here, but it's it was all you. Like if you, that would have been a very easy season to lean out, right? And you've done everything right. And you guys have, like there was so much, when you guys first met, so much honoring each other. And you guys have been doing things right way. This is not one of those, well, you went into it, of course this was gonna happen. This is no, you guys were, were, were fighting for growth and fighting for healing and fighting for recovery. And so in that season especially, you know, while he's going into halfway house and joining the mission, what what caused you to lean in more? Church was the one place that I could find peace. I remember watching one of the services and I wrote in all caps the entire song, Sea of Victory, because I knew that God was going to do something. He was going to move. And if I didn't, dig deep into this, it wasn't gonna work. The only peace I ever knew was when I dug deep into God and really focused on him and got involved because, you know, my closest friends that would understand were in the church. I wanted a new community because the church that I was at for 10 years, I didn't really have that anymore. I learned about collective by someone who doesn't even go to the church, posting something about how there was going to be a therapist speaking. And I watched 
the sermon before that, he was actually in a therapy session at the time that I'm sitting in the car watching this sermon. I was like, Mike's gonna really like him. And we went to church, sat in the back. He was hungover. There was just this comfort, knowing that I could gain a community just by the minute I walked in the door. There's no way I would have been able to get through this without having the community of this church, even online. This, which has been, our situation has been the hardest thing that I've ever gone through with watching my mom die for three and a half years. This has been so much harder, but knowing that God will always be there and knowing that if I dig deep deeper into him, that the reward is just gonna be so amazing. Yeah. I think it's funny that you showed up to Collective Hungover for the first time. Definitely not the first, obviously won't be the last, but how did you feel? Because again, at that point you're, you're comfortable with God, there's some seeking going on, you know, but what, what was that like for you? The first time coming to Collective, like I knew God was 100% real. I knew God had my back, um, had, couldn't have gone through what I had sure. gone through without God being there. Um, it's just not not possible. And a lot of the other churches I've been to, I felt judged. I felt, I didn't feel like I belonged. I just felt like people looking down on me and all this stuff. And I remember uh, coming to Collective and it was just different without this, the aura. I don't know sure. the word, yeah. the atmosphere. It was just different. And um, I was very particular on preaching coming from the Bible and it being biblical and just wanting to hear truth because at that point was the only thing that was helping me sure. with my mental health and my recovery. It was that I tried everything else and nothing worked. And I think Collective was a big part in what was, come, what was to come next. Yeah. And eventually you end up back in the Frederick Rescue Mission you know, grinding again toward recovery. This time different though. It was very different. Um, I remember my first day there, I prayed and I said, I will do whatever I have to do for me to be better to, cause I'm no good to anybody or anything if I'm not well. Um, that's to my family, that's to work as an employee, as a husband, a brother, I'm no use to anybody if I'm not well. So I'm going to go into this with that being my only focus, and I trust you, Jesus, to give me back what I'm meant to have and what you trust me with. And that was, if my marriage isn't meant to be, I'm going to give it my all, and if it doesn't work, that's your will, and I'll accept it. And, I mean, here we are. There's a lot of work in between sure. walking in that door to now. Yeah. But from walking in that door to not knowing what was going to happen, the, the amount of God moments between now and then, it's undeniable that he was in all of it. Yeah, one of my favorite stories about you guys is you're still at the mission. We open up this space. Um, I think it was like a month later, we're at two services. And which there's so much more to it than, than this as well. But, you know, when we did the capital campaign in 2019, one of the things we promised our church and we promised 
the, the guys from the mission, because we weren't in walking distance anymore, was we will buy a van and we will pick you up. Because Collective wouldn't exist without guys who had been through that program showing up with us at 6.30 in the morning and setting it up and tearing it down. And so for us, like our, our heart is so in that program. We don't know what that means though. Like we don't, we don't know what God can do with that. We're just saying, we feel like this is the right thing to do, so we're gonna do it. So we go to two services and the mission shows up at first service. And so you show up with a group of guys at first service when they eventually let you guys <laughs> leave because of COVID stuff. But Melissa, you're showing up at second service and people know you still like for me, I was still new for me. Um, and, and one of the stories that I do remember uh, is, you know, you're filling out a connection card that first day praying for your marriage. And it started the first few times in this building, Mike at first service, Melissa at second. What led to the change? I made it a point that the first couple months while I was at the mission, I was not going to call her. I didn't want to do the same old stuff. The, hey, this is what I'm doing to get better. I'm getting better, I'm getting better. I was just going to get better. And you would see that in my life. Um, so when I did call, I think after the first month and a half, it wasn't to tell her how I was doing, it was to ask her how she was doing. And she would tell me that she was seeing a therapist and doing all this work on herself, and I was really proud of her. And it was very short conversations, and I didn't ask anything of her. It was just, are you okay? And those conversations, you know, led to longer talks and still weren't talking about any sort of reconciliation at this point. But I remember like you are in, in middle school asking, you know, the first girl to a dance or something. I was, I was talking to the guys, I was talking to all the guys. I'm like, I'm going to ask her if she wants to go to church with me. And I remember like getting, getting those butterflies. I'm like, it's okay if she says no, but like, I'm going to ask her. Yeah. And I remember being on the phone and, and I asked her and, and she said, yeah. And I remember like hanging with that phone and running to my boys. <laughs> Everybody was like so happy for sure. me. And it was such a small, yeah thing but that small thing it was just like like thank you lord like i never thought i never saw that day yeah where that would even be possible yeah why'd you say yes i could tell something was different this time he was never really that vulnerable like he was blunt and honest but he was never that vulnerable and i was like and it was you know gonna go to church anyway so why not nice <laughs> 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 but I, you know, I was like, I'll just, you know, I'll give it a try. We'll do this slowly. So it eventually was, you know, we would go to church. And then after a few Sundays, we would go and get coffee afterwards. And I could just tell something was different. He wanted to go to church. He wanted to get involved in different things. Um, he wanted to know me, um, which before it was really all about him and his addiction. And it was, you know, I was kind of put to the side. Um, so it was kind of refreshing to, you know, hear, do you want to, you know, go to church with me? <laughs> and maybe this is okay. Yeah. One thing, I don't think I told you guys this when we sat down, behind the scenes for us as a staff, 
on Mondays we get together and we celebrate wins and you guys sitting together was our win because when we went to start collective, one of the things we said was, man, we want to heal marriages. And we know like, you don't know what that's going to look like. And we just want to be a part of those things because my goodness, like there's so many broken things in this world that people give up on. And we just wanted to be a church where people felt like they didn't have to give up on things. And that first Monday, Danielle brought it up. And she was like, I don't know if everybody else saw it. And immediately we were like, oh, we all saw it, <laughs> you know, because, because we just knew, you know, we were watching what we felt like was something really, really good happening. Not easy, not smooth, uh, not perfect, but just something really good. And so for us behind the scenes, it, you know, we were just so excited that that step was taken because it is vulnerable for both of you to say yes. And also there are a lot of people who don't fight, right? And they fight, you know, but they don't fight for their marriage and they don't do the work. And you guys both decided we're gonna do the work and man, it's gonna be hard because we're gonna be apart while we do it. And we just hope and pray that God who can restore these things actually does. And he did. You graduate the program, which for people who don't know as well, like the mission has graduations so, and it was incredible. And part of the graduation was you got to share. But I remember the, the main thing I wanted to share was just what God can do when you just leave it at his feet. Because it in a year of sitting still and having faith and trusting God without pushing for anything, he restored our relationship. He put me back in school, gave me my job back with multiple promotions. Um, just things that I never got my license back. Like all this stuff that you would think takes so long to rebuild, it just came and came and came. And I wanted like the main point of that speech was to stress like I did nothing but have faith, put in the work that he told me to do, work on me. And it was nothing but God doing all of it. And I think coming out the other end of that now, working on our marriage, it makes it so easy after going through that to in all situations, just pray and, and leave it there yeah. and, and trust it. And, and I think she could say the same because she did a lot of praying too. Yeah. What was it like to hear him to sit up there with, with family you know, and a bunch of other strangers essentially. And, and again, it's not a finish line. Right, and you knew that. You guys both have approached this in a really healthy way. But get to at least that point where he's graduating and sharing this journey and you get to to see that. I was obviously a blubbering mess because it's just, you know, I knew he had it in him. You know, from day one, I knew that he was brilliant and had the capability to get through this whether or not it was the two of us or not. But, cause, cause there was a time where I had said that I didn't want to make this work because I was hurt so badly. I wasn't ready yet, but seeing him at graduation in November, like it was, I had never been more prouder of him because it took a while. 
like as you know he went to rehab once before and I thought that was that and I was proud of him then but just watching him speak and even just seeing the guys that were still in the program at the time you know look up to him because they, there were guys that he was able to show this works what's really cool about your story too is you guys are better now as a married couple than you've ever been your faith is stronger now than it's ever been you are healthier now than you've ever been but you don't get there without all the other garbage that comes first Right, without all the good things too, without a good church experience, without people who do love you, you know, and, and people who do offer second chances and for community that says, Hey, we're rallying. We don't know what we're doing, but we're rallying. But like your whole story is one where the lowest parts over and over and over again, but without those low parts, there is no this. And so when it comes to your marriage now, how different is it? And what is God doing now, right, for the two of you? It's been very separate for faith and, and all that, but now, right now, what is that like for you guys? We do things together. We enjoy each other's company. Some of our favorite times are actually going to church and hanging out with the people that we've met. Like, he was never a social person. And now we're doing things with people like we have people over we do double dates we you know go and hang out with people which before it was just kind of like you know I don't really want to do that I don't want to hang out with anybody now we're still homebodies we really love our house with our dog but going to a collective you know that's something that we look forward to every week we love the people that we got to know um we have more respect for each other. My family has more respect for him. Um, it's just different. Like we just, we love each other differently. Um, love each other more. We don't argue the same way we argued before where the resolution is easier, it's healthier. It's just different. Yeah, where before it was an argument, now it's just a silly disagreement that we know how to communicate. Yeah. Now that's that's a huge difference between then and now is like we know each other so much better in such a short period of time because of the work we've put in and the communication is there. Um, again, we know how to respect each other. We know how to compromise. Um, the biggest difference is me not being selfish. I mean, putting her first makes all the difference and I didn't know what that looked like sure. until I got sober because everything was about me, me feeling better, what I got to do for me and my addiction. And that in, in and of itself changed everything. It just works. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see that it wasn't like you guys both decided, oh crap, this isn't working. Let's put God first. It was, this isn't working. God, show up. Show up the way that you always felt him show up or God, show up bigger and stronger than I felt you in the past or you know I need you to do this again and by getting healthy it God like naturally put himself in the right place 
and because you guys created the opportunities for that to happen and the overflow of that ends up being you know the healthiest marriage in the healthiest point of your marriage you've ever had and it's crazy to start from where you guys both came from to where it is now and how you have a marriage that's built on Christ um, not church not religion but on his redemption and his restoration um, and that you guys fought to get there right it'd be so much easier if it was just like okay God snap your fingers and do it uh, and it's you know you pray for it and God's like yeah we'll, we'll get there and you guys were willing to lean in, which I think is is incredible. And so for people that go to our church or who at some point listen to the podcast who are struggling in their marriage, whether that's because of addiction and recovery, whether that's because of faith stuff, whatever it may be, if you guys had one piece of advice for people, uh, and it doesn't even have to be marriage, it's just people who are at that point where they're sitting at the bottom going, what the heck do I do? If you had one piece of advice for them, what would that be? Get a community. Having a community, especially in the church, was extremely helpful. And to realize that you're not the only one that will ever go through this. Because if the person you're talking to hasn't, they almost, they most likely know someone who has. You know, specific for our situation, it was, you both have to make the effort. You both have to, you know, even though you might think that you did nothing wrong, might not be that you did something wrong. It's what can I do in myself to make myself better so that, you know, I'm better for them because, you know, he was the addict, but I was codependent and didn't know how to take myself out of the equation of his addiction. So, you know, realizing that you're not perfect and that you could always grow and realizing, okay, what can I do to better myself so that we can make this work? Yeah, it's great, Mike. Being completely honest, first of all, with yourself, because there's a lot of ways to lie to yourself about a situation, to justify a situation and to take the easy way out. Praying for God to help is not enough once you've prayed to to listen to get honest and listen to what he's asking and to do the work you can't just and again snap your fingers and and think it's going to be okay and expect it to to change you got to put in the work and, and in doing the work to what she said you have to have good honest community around you to get advice from to get a second perspective from um, and I think with all of that combined and willing to, to put in the work, only a good outcome can happen. It might not be the outcome you wanted, yeah. but it'd be the right one. That's really good. Okay, so the absolute last question that I'm asking everybody is if there was one Bible verse that got you through the heavy time of your life, or if there's one now like coming out of it that is like the number one truth, the number one thing that like, man, this, this is my thing, what would it be? Um, and so, Mike, we'll start with you. So, so for me, everything about my faith and recovery has just been the undeniable truth that God is real, and I know it. Um, in Romans seven fifteen, Paul, after all the stuff Paul had been through, um, and his transformation, him who, not knowing his backstory, you look at as the most dedicated Christian on the planet, 
um, he said, you know, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And that was just a story of my life through all my addiction was I keep doing this craziness over and over again and I don't want to do it, but I still do. And if that, if there's only, if there's a way out of it, it's gotta be God cause I can't stop. Yeah. And it was. Dude, that's awesome. Oh, that was good. All right, Melissa. <laughs> I, this was one of my mom's favorite verses. Um, and one that I constantly went back and forth with, but kind of just paraphrased it in my head. Um, James one, two through four, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it's just, you know, when we go through trials, you tend to say, woe is me. And I always looked to, you know, what's it going to be, you know, down the line, you know, I'm going to have that joy. Something good is going to come from this. No matter what it is, it's, it's going to be God's will and it's going to, you know, work out. And it's just, I never really pitied myself through any of this. Um, but I knew that God would just get me through it. So, you know, having that mindset that, you know, it'll be okay having that joy, knowing that, you know, God's got this. Well, thank you both for persevering um, and, and really just kind of setting this example and this tone of what that looks like, right? And so much of faith is the perseverance. So much of faith is this moment that we're in isn't the whole story, right? This pain that I'm feeling isn't the whole thing. Um, the season that I'm in isn't the only season. It's the long term of it. And you guys sharing your story, one of our hope is that people who are listening to this realize whatever moment they're in isn't the it, isn't the end. Like, not it. There's more to it than that. Um, and that hearing what you guys have gone through helps them realize like oh, I can I can keep pushing um, whether that be through marital struggles whether that be through addiction recovery being married to an addict being someone who struggles with codependency um, people who get to a point in their marriage where they realize hey we need to step back and kind of start over and even saying hey we need to start dating again in order to do this right and not having so much pressure or even feeling shame doing that um, and so thank you guys for sharing your story and thank you for being a part of this with me. Thanks. Thank you.